This podcast may contain explicit language and themes, so listener discretion is advised. Ill-advised, misinformed, our half-baked opinions will be performed. Are you ready? Is the mic on? Welcome to the Hill to Die On. You're listening to A Hill to Die On, a podcast hosted by two stubborn as shit Aussies who give hot takes on a different topic, go away to dig deeper, and then reconvene to share whether or not their hot take hill was worth dying on. We're your hosts, Backyard Blitzers, Josie Spicer and Cara Brooks. So for the third installment of our reality TV miniseries, we're asking the question, are health-based reality TV shows helpful? And to sort of dig into that, I will be looking at weight loss reality TV shows, kind of like The Biggest Loser, would be a little more of a game style, um, but then I may also go into like, you know, there's like super size versus super skinny and that sort of thing. And Kara, you're going to be investigating medical TV shows, like Embarrassing Bodies from my understanding? Yeah, I imagine like Embarrassing Bodies and like, um, what's that A&E show? Oh, right. Yes. Yes. Sort of like um, RPA. Or like 24 Hours in Emergency yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that'd be really good. Yeah. That'd be mm. interesting to find out what they like to concentrate on. First off, I'll quickly ask the you the question. Do you think that weight loss <laughs> based reality TV shows are helpful? Mm, I think it really depends on the which one you're looking at okay so shows like the biggest loser largely no Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh i think that even though some people might have better health outcomes initially i don't think the entire experience in doing that quickly and the process of it like how it would mentally affect you and shame you in a way like i don't think that's helpful at all Um, and i don't think that's helpful to people watching it but shows that are more in line with like super size versus super skinny i do think that show is actually helpful even though it has some of the same elements of shaming um, i think it works in a more empathetic way right so like do you want to quickly like describe what super size versus super skinny oh yeah so for anyone that hasn't watched it it's basically um so dr christian from embarrassing bodies i'm pretty sure he's the only one that's hosted it so let's just assume he still does there's a british show where they get a house and they bring in one person who is like morbidly obese and one person who is very underweight and then they swap diets um, and they only do it for a couple days mm-hmm. which you know is understandable because they're quite extreme diets a lot of the time um, and they have to eat like they eat together so they share a meal in front of each other and have to eat what the other ate <laughs> during that week Jesus. And just sort of talk about their feelings and find out what health outcomes they will have if they continue to live the way that they're currently living and, you know, eating the way they currently eat. And then at the end of that, they get given a diet plan mm-hmm. um, and the, you know, overweight person is encouraged to bring their weight down a little bit. The underweight person is encouraged to bring their weight up a little bit. So their calorie intake will reflect that um, in their diet plans. And then they come back like a month later or whatever and reweigh themselves and talk about how much they've quote-unquote improved yes like I don't know I find that show I, I found it helpful for me because it made me you know how some people talk about like self-care in that if you think of yourself as a child like the child you or whatever yeah there was I mean you know not that necessarily but same sort of I guess line of thinking is that I'm already kind of mean to other people, but I'm really mean to myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm the meanest to myself. And it made me reflect on what I was eating and 
if that would be acceptable to serve it to another person. So like, for instance, uh, so this is like 10 years ago when we first met or like around that time, because I know we used to watch that show a lot together. (laughs) Absolutely. And I remember when I was working at the tattoo studio and, you know, I just had a really erratic schedule and I would be, I worked graveyard shifts on the weekend out at the airport and then was working like four days a week, um, like 12 hour days at the studio. And I remember one morning after watching that show the night before, I'd gotten up and I didn't have time for breakfast. Like I really had to leave and I opened the fridge and I grabbed a handful of licorice bullets that oh was maybe like, I, you know, I don't have big hands. It was like five licorice bullets and just like ate them as I ran out the door. And then I like got to work and I was thinking about that show and I was like, how would you feel if you were on that show and you just had to serve someone that like, here's your breakfast. It's five licorice bullets. You had lunch at 2.30 and it was a coffee and then you finally ate when you got home. You know, like imagine having to serve someone that throughout the day. Like, And I would be so apologetic. Yeah. I realized like I would be like, oh, my God, I'm so fucking sorry. I don't know why I did that. Like, And then I thought, well, why is it OK to treat yourself like that? But it's not OK to treat other people like that. Mm-mm. And I think, yeah, there were things like that with that show that made me really sort of like self-reflect and think, fuck, like I am being really unkind to myself and thinking it's okay just because it's me. Like you sort of just take it for granted. You know, there's elements of that show that are problematic. There's also ways that could be sort of twisted to make you look at you reflect on your own behavior and realize how inappropriate it could be or how someone else might perceive the way you treat yourself. I don't know how much sense I'm making. No, no, I totally understand that. Like, I think that's actually really, really cool that it made you reflect on yourself in that way. And as you kind of say that from memory, there were so many episodes that you get all sorts of stories, but kind of what you're saying is almost like reflected in that show quite often where it's like they're not taking care of themselves Like, there's something deeper, self-esteem-wise or whatever. Oh, always, hey. People on the show, both the super size and the super skinny, they could kind of relate. Like, it was just a different manifestation of this, like, same emotional state. Yeah, no, just that. Like, it was always, you know, they had some childhood trauma or they had, yeah, low Mm self-esteem was just, like, a constant thread. Yes. Also, just being busy, like, having really busy lives and being unable to... um, like a lot of there was I think a few hairdressers and stuff in the super skinnies where they were just constantly on their feet and constantly on the go and they didn't take time to take breaks properly with some of the overweight people there was often like unresolved childhood traumas and bullying and things where they'd internalized it and you're right like Mm -hmm. it just manifested in opposite ways but it's the same core issues and I think it's just reflects really interestingly on how society views those issues because we often idolize people that mm-hmm. where it manifests in the skinny way and <laughs> demonize those where it manifests in the overweight way when in reality it's the same fucking issue it's the same like I don't know like I think a lot of the time with the underweight people it's not only just that manifesting but it can be like control issues or other underlying things and then if people are complimenting them on their bodies you know because of course you're going to get some people telling them they're too skinny but they're more likely to be positively reinforced for their... Yeah, for their unhealthy behaviour. Same with the overweight people. Like, if you're getting shamed constantly, you're like, well, what's the fucking point? At least food gives me pleasure. Yeah, and they literally say that on the show. Yeah. And, like, I I think we're two people, historically, that have 
you know, it's interesting actually for us to be talking about this because I feel like we've dealt with things in these opposite ways. Totally. Like I am always a person that like if I get upset, I can't eat and that's just the way my body is. Like I get nauseous and I can't, I just have no appetite. Whereas your girl ate so much she had to get her stomach cut out. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we, and we know like how similar we are at the core with a lot of that stuff, you yes. know, so it's really just like the same issue yeah, manifesting yeah. in opposite ways. No, yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah no you're you're so right like often we message each other and we're like yeah yeah I can relate and then it's like yeah but I just you know didn't eat and I'm like yeah and I just like ate four donuts about that sort of (laughs) yeah (laughs) which sums up that show and then of course if any of our listeners haven't watched that show and have any interest I would recommend watching one where they have the tube the tube of food oh yes (laughs) Yeah, that was like the old episodes. I think they stopped doing it after a while, maybe because it was so wasteful. It looked so cool, though. (laughs) Oh, man, it was wild. Like some of it was so big and some of it was so pathetic. Yeah, I'll be looking at those. And then Embarrassing Bodies was also another show that we watched a lot. I guess we just really loved Dr. Christian at that time. (laughs) Yeah, I still do. I still do, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I haven't Googled him in a while, so who's to say if he's cancelled or not? I mean, his hair should be cancelled. Oh, absolutely. You're not a fucking member of the band Hanson. So I said about those eating shows, I find them, you know, helpful can be debatable. Do you find them helpful? I find them largely harmful. I guess, as you said, super size versus super skinny could be an outlier in that. But otherwise, anything that's fixating on weight loss, like reality TV-wise, I think has historically been unhelpful. Um, specifically, The Biggest Loser is just the bells and whistles of a game show. And then it's also perpetuating this idea that you should drastically change your life and drastically lose weight and drastically change your diet and you'll be able to have this long-term weight loss and that's just simply not true like I don't think the science even backs it up kind of thing also like having them parade around in crop tops and shit and shirtless for the men is like pure shaming oh like I wouldn't even want to do that yeah I'm fucking ripped like (laughs) there's a there's a limit of like what you what is acceptable and what's not in terms of you know what people feel comfortable with and making them intentionally go against that just feels fucking wrong and especially for like the sake of what like ridicule like what's the point you know it's entirely for ridicule there's no other explanation there's no health basis for doing that otherwise i think i was going to come into it saying shows like you know super size versus super skinny were harmful but i think kind of passing it out i mean it was helpful for you right then i think that there's more potential for it to be helpful. I think that it shows the other side so that you're not just like, well, you Mm -hmm. know, skinny is good, lose as much weight as possible. It's like there is a healthy medium and both sides of any extreme are bad. And I think that's a sort of healthy message to get across. But at the same time, especially with like showing the super skinny diets and everything, I think that can be also kind of triggering for people with eating disorders, Um, like pro-Anna sort of communities and stuff. It's like, are you going to start taking tips? It can be harmful in that way as well. That's a tricky element I didn't consider. I guess the good thing is that they then sort of 
like you know they give them a diet plan so that then there's something that's actually like they're able to implement something long term so that's helpful yeah but and it's slow um, changes like they applaud like a slow gradual I think it's like three months or something maybe yeah I don't remember if it's a month or three I think it's three months like it's a long time that they Mm -hmm. come back after so that they can have some sort of like gradual change rather than a sudden change yeah and they also seem I think in all the episodes I've watched and I've watched a lot of episodes of that (laughs) show there was maybe only one or two super skinny people that didn't gain weight and Mm. they they, I'm one in particular springs to mind who was just this dumb bitch who like didn't want to clearly didn't want to gain weight right it's like why are you even on the show do you just want to brag about being skinny Mm. or like like, what are you doing Mm. here Mm -hmm. um so that was really disturbing but other than that like most of them it's you know it's a different attitude I think to what you're used to seeing with dieting shows which is the more weight you lose the better it was like no I actually am really unhappy in my skinny body and I think I look strange or disproportionate and I don't like that I can see all my ribs or I don't like this part of me and hearing people sort of be on that end of the spectrum but critiquing it Mm. I think is an interesting take because usually you just hear people praising it or yeah you know not acknowledging it even like it's just accepted and that's just normal whereas it was like no I really don't like this part of me and I wish it looked more normal quote-unquote normal yeah I I think if I was to give it a clear hill I think where I currently stand is no not helpful (laughs) embarrassing bodies they basically get randos coming in with an ailment or something about their bodies that they're not sure about and there's a bunch of doctors and they'll sort of consult with them some cases are really quick where they're like yep that's herpes off you go some they kind of stick around for a while and sort of facilitate that treatment then they come back and talk about how that treatment went yeah i was wondering what you think about medical reality tv shows as a whole but also embarrassing bodies i think they're helpful Mm -hmm. for the most part like i think most of the time they help the people that are actually on the shows i think it's also good to normalize fucked things that our bodies do yes and it it takes a lot of the stigma and shame away from those things or or you see even a condition that you have but you see someone with a far worse variant of it and you're like oh that's how bad it can get this isn't so bad for me like or this is how you treat it or this is the type of specialist you would see and for people and I know I think especially with men there's a lot of stereotype around that of them not going to the doctor when they probably should Mm -hmm. and so I think that it also helps people see how serious things can become if you leave it unchecked and for the people that are hesitant to go to the doctor how easily things can be treated like that was something that always really threw me about that show is someone that's struggling with something that clearly is very uncomfortable or very painful mm-hmm. and then they're like how long have you had this oh seven years yeah and you're like what the fuck like how are you living with this and then it's like a course of antibiotics <laughs> like yeah it's something yeah. so simple and like Especially in the UK where healthcare, they have the NHS. Like, I think I would Mm -hmm. understand it more maybe in the US where you have to pay so much for healthcare. And I really understand over there people not going to the doctor when they do have sorry when they do have problems but in the uk it's like what like why did you not go to the doctor but then you decided to come on tv like it's so weird that is a question i do have if you're able to sort of find out what that is because i was thinking about that i'm like okay the us i think that that's exploiting people who can't afford healthcare can't afford it but then what the hell is getting the people on embarrassing bodies on there like there must be a payment so i've wondered if it's because a maybe sometimes you have to pay for specialists and whereas you don't on that show b 
the waiting lists, I think, can Oof. be really long for specialists in the UK. And so at least it would take away that because they have to do it within a very short time frame. Thirdly, it could just be like, you know, someone's just out fucking walking about and then they see the van there and they're like, oh yeah, I guess this oh, is yeah. maybe just while I'm here, I'll get it checked out. Whereas they're not going to book into a doctor. Like they're not going to take that extra effort. I remember when they had Embarrassing Bodies Australia. I don't think I actually watched it. but I they, never have. Yeah, like they did have like a call out or, or like, you know, saying when they were going to be around or if you had a problem, you write in or whatever the fuck it was. I don't know. And I thought about it. Then I was like, fuck, I'll just go to my fucking doctor. Like I don't need this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the motivation for doing it would be to get better treatment. Fuck yeah. Because if they're doing it on camera, they really have to find out what's going on and they're not going to just dismiss you. So, you know, maybe if I had done it, that was what, in like 2011, I think? Like maybe if Mm -hmm. I had done it, I wouldn't have had to fucking deal with endometriosis for another six years on top of the 12 I'd already dealt with it. But yeah, that was a reason for me is I was like, man, if you could have actual specialists that really do care because they got a fucking fire under their ass, like... yeah. Yes, yes. Because, like, I swear, I don't know if it was embarrassing bodies, but, like, there's definitely shows where they pay for people's fucking veneers. Yeah, yeah. And that shit costs money. That's definitely on embarrassing bodies. But the dental, like, dental is included in NHS. I know, bastards! (laughs) Yeah, I know. But I don't know how much is covered. Because I know here some cosmetic dentistry is actually covered if it impacts the way that you eat. Mm -hmm. Like, there's some sort of, like, weird thing, like, if it's severely impacting you. That's actually a really good point. And I think about the second point you made about the waiting time it reminds me of Judge Judy where it's like well to get through the arbitration system it takes a long Mm. time so come on now and yeah just do it on camera but it'll be done yeah and um, then the third one I'm pretty sure there's a few episodes where there are festivals and they've got their clinic set up so it's just randos at the festival who just go on who you know whether or not they're totally sober is a is a question and yeah. an interesting one but um but also like the peer pressure of that as well i guess of people being like well go on like don't you have something like <laughs> but like they full-on show like balls and um, oh yeah vaginas and everything on there like for real like my aunt actually first told me about it um and i remember she messaged me and she's like have you watched this show and like started explaining it and then I was like, nah, but that sounds awesome. And she was like, yeah, they full on show like ball sacks and buttholes and taints and like everything. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Like on normal TV? Wait, and she was like, yeah, on free day TV. I was like, what? Because it's so fucking clinical. There's no way you could possibly sexualize it. Oh, like, yeah. And it's always something fucking feral. Like if they're showing a butthole, oh, yeah. there is something wrong with it. Like you got some dingleberries on there. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> or like if there's a like full on vagina, it has a severe yeast infection like there's always yeah. something that you don't want to see it's not dinner theater i'll say that much <laughs> no do you remember when we wanted to start a drinking game to that show and <laughs> yes. it was like every time that dr pixie sniffs her petri dish like there were all these different rules <laughs> yeah. yeah i think they're helpful for the people on it but also those watching it like oh yeah it me. Yeah, yeah, like the educational value. Part of me is like, man, I wish they did this show in America so that people could actually get treatment if they need it, but then at the same time, it's like, yeah, that would be really fucking exploitative. It's like, let's watch the poors. Like, let's watch the poors who can't afford their treatment. All right, well, I'll catch you in a matter of time. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> okay, bye. Well, Kara. It's been... <laughs> it's been a time. It's been a length of time. A while. 
But we're back. Lots of shit's happened. Basically, my portion of research was to focus on weight loss-based reality TV shows. In the first part of this episode, we broke this down further into two categories. Gamified weight loss shows, such as The Biggest Loser, and shows that have a more clinical veneer to them, such as Super Size vs. Super Skinny. The more I thought about it, the more I realised that the podcast maintenance phase, which I've referenced before in our show, did a fantastic episode on the issues of The Biggest Loser. And while I may touch on some of them, and some of the things I discuss here may also apply to gamified weight loss shows, I would direct listeners to that maintenance fade episode for a more focused dunking on The Biggest Loser. For this episode, I wanted to focus more on supersize versus super skinny and shows that are more on the clinical side of things. In the first portion, we declared that we saw these shows as being less egregious when compared to like The Biggest Loser. We noted that they may provide like a window into empathizing with others. And Kara, you even mentioned how it helped you think about Mm -hmm. how it would feel if you had to swap diets with someone else. I certainly don't want to take that experience away from you. But I have, like since doing my reading, I realized like almost immediately that we granted it way too much good faith. And while editing the first half of this episode, I was fascinated at how quickly I went back to using really normative language and ideas around food and diets and bodies that like we otherwise condemned in our body positivity episode. So like that body positivity episode, what I've come to learn about shows such as Super Size vs. Super Skinny was eye-opening and challenging, and I gave researching this episode quite a bit of time, in order to reflect on how pervasive and ingrained our thought patterns and language about bodies are from an early age, and how weight loss reality TV shows super contribute to this. So before jumping into researching more, I asked some people what they thought about shows like Super Size vs Super Skinny, and I was surprised and impressed by how many of my friends were already pretty aware of like the humiliation angle the show takes, which you noted as well in terms of like how they dress people like they Mm -hmm. always dress them in these like ugly undergarments kind of thing and yeah and like people i knew were like noted how harmful the messaging can be then it occurred to me that like i hadn't actually watched super size vs super skinny since i got weight loss surgery oh so different perspective yeah and so i started questioning like what had i missed and how did i miss it and why did i miss it i did a small amount of reading on the subject of weight loss reality tv shows before I went and attempted to watch, keyword attempted, to watch one episode <laughs> of Super Size vs Super Skinny on YouTube. So the one thing I read before watching this episode of Super Size vs Super Skinny was a 2018 article in the Journal of Gender Studies called Becoming Fit to Be a Mother, Class, Learning and Redemption in Super Size vs Super Skinny. This paper was the first inkling that I had been gravely mistaken in my assertion <laughs> that Super Size vs Super Skinny wasn't as harmful as other weight loss shows. This article noted how, like, despite basic efforts to have various bodies and gender representation on the show, the majority of supersized participants do end up being women. Women are almost always questioned on their reproductive plan, so that's both supersized and super skinny women, mm. which is insulting on the face of it. But when it comes to the supersized women, they're especially interrogated about this. If they don't already have children, they're told that they need to lose weight if they hope to have a baby. And, you know, there are complications that can arise from having increased 
body weight and how that interacts with um, conceiving and fertility and all that stuff. But it's absolutely negligent to act as though these individual people need to simply lose weight in order to conceive. Also, though, isn't that just the female experience of going to a doctor? Absolutely, right? So it's like (laughs) that kind of tracks that it's like a doctor is telling you, like, no matter what, a doctor will put your fertility as a woman above every other health complaint you may have, which is fucked. And, And also, like, being overweight would be, I would think, would be less of a problem, like less of a roadblock to fertility than being extremely underweight. Just because like that literally stops your periods. Like you cannot conceive when you don't have a period. So like... Uh. No, it's it's fascinating. Like the journal acknowledged that certainly the super skinny women had fertility raised, but it was kind of like, oh, you'll be fine. You just have to eat more. And it was almost like, a, oh, well, this is just a little thing you're not doing and it will be fine. Yeah. I, I just, I felt like it was particularly cruel and simplistic to tell these people that their ability to conceive lies in weight loss. Like it might help, but it's so much more complicated than that. The paper noted that Many of the supersized women who participated in the show were working class as well. This adds like a class element to the judgment of how fit these people are to be parents. So thinking back to how I argued that like the diet plan aspect of this show was like evidence that this show was less harmful, I realized that in total I did not consider how class interacted with the advice that they give. Like they might not be able to follow the plan because they can't afford to. Can't afford to, yeah. And like access and all that sort of thing. And it's kind of like this compounding thing of like, okay, if you're like a fat woman on this show... And whether you have a kid or not, your ability to parent is always brought into question. Mm. But this was kind of confirmed when I watched the episode that I did. It makes me think of like, you know that photo of Paris Hilton where she's wearing that shirt that's like, stop being poor. Yes, yes, yes. It's like that, but it's stop being fat and poor. (laughs) Oh my God. It's the official super size versus super skinny shirt. If a woman already has a child, then they have their ability to parent questioned it's insulting and it's made worse. Apparently there's a supersized versus super skinny kids version. What? Yeah. So it's fat kids. I don't know if it's supersized versus super skinny, but it's the same sort of format, but they mostly talk to the parents and they do this thing where they like age progress their fat kid and like make them look horrible and sad and like lumpy and they just make the parents cry. Oh, I feel like I have seen that. It's so awful. Like years ago. Yeah. It's cruel. Oh, that seems really familiar. Yeah. And they're like, this is what you're doing to your kid. It's like Lisa's braces. Like, exactly. Cool. You're a freak. So the implication that people can't be good mothers or parents in general if they're fat is insulting not only in a gendered way, but it's embedded in classism as well. Now, this nearly one episode that I watched of Super Size vs. Super Skinny was from an episode that I'll link in the show notes. But it made me so mad. I like within the first five minutes, I had to pause several times to make notes of all the ways that this show teaches us how to view bodies and diets. Like it was so manipulative. I couldn't believe it. I was like, Mm. holy fuck, I can't believe I just watched this without even getting like not critically. No, but there is a reason for this. And I'll get into that in a second. The first few shots of the episode and they have these kind of running throughout to sort of break the scenes. And it's like these really close up zoomed in shots of the flawed parts of people's bodies with like harsh lighting and beige underwear, like rolls and man boobs and hip bones and cellulite. They're super zoomed in on everyone's freckles and moles pop up. It's 
really clinical in the way that it's like lit but it's also just kind of telling you what areas you need to focus on and feel bad about if that makes sense Mm -hmm. so in this episode the supersized participant is literally introduced as mother of one Charlene (laughs) like she's defined by her motherhood and they say Charlene, who tips the scales, like they love to make a little, Ugh, yeah. like really like to dig it in there. And they said that she wants to lose weight in order to become a better mother, which may be her wording or might not be. I have no idea. So anyway, in this episode, Dr. Christian ended up sending this participant to Illinois to see the, quote, extra, extra large way of life <laughs> of a woman who is fat and has experienced miscarriages. At this point, we have seen only a few minutes of the super skinny person. This is in part to overall societal perceptions of thin people as being less egregious than fat people, but also the narrative structure isn't as satisfying with the skinny person as it is to the fat person. I actually have a theory on that. So in that show, from my memory of it, they have, you know, because I remember when I first saw that them introducing that segment I was like oh that's weird why do they do this whole segment with the supersized person and then not an individual segment like that with a super skinny person instead with the super skinny person they have a separate female host going around with a group of um, recovering anorexics Mm. you know explaining healthy eating patterns or quote unquote or explaining like issues that some anorexic people may have and like having them overcome issues such as like grocery shopping and things like that and I think part of the reason of it is that you don't want to put a super skinny person who may have disordered eating in that way with another extremely disordered eating person because it's triggering whereas it's a it's a caution when it's an overweight person like you could become this and you don't want to be this when it's a very skinny person it's like oh no I want to become that you you don't send them to someone worse than them because it's creating a goal it's not it's not helpful <laughs> um, right so I yeah, think there's okay. probably an element where it's like more shame but I think most of it honestly is just because it would be straight up irresponsible and dangerous to put a skinny person in the same position I I don't disagree with that I think that they shouldn't do that for sure like that's a bad idea they shouldn't do either to be honest but But you're right in terms of like the cautionary part. So one of the sources I read for this episode focused on the ritual transitions made in the narrative of supersize versus super skinny. So first of all, the fat participants are shown as finding a dangerous pleasure in food, which like others, the food and the way that it's taken in itself. They place the food in either those food tubes. Fuck, I still love them though. Yeah, they're so fucked. It's so good. Or they litter the participants' kitchen with piles of their favourite food in order to like further illustrate the gluttony and excess that the supersized person enjoys. In more recent series, like the one that I watched on YouTube, the supersized participants go on a journey to Illinois, where apparently it's like the most fat people live there or something, where they encounter morbidly obese and often disabled people. Through their interaction with what I assume is meant to be like a lost cause, the supersized contestant learns the folly of their way, unlearns their dietary bad habits, and ultimately finds redemption in working towards a new future for themselves by the end of the episode. From a viewer's perspective, I think that makes the show kind of satisfying. Like that kind of narrative arc, you mean, or...? Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, well, like, they've realized they've had this moment of crisis. Yeah. Like, they've really, truly understood the dangers of their way. It's like this deterrence. (laughs) Now, part of the reason we initially viewed 
super size versus super skinny to be less harmful than other weight loss reality TV shows owes itself partially to something called the public pedagogy of obesity. Public pedagogy in general is like how we come to learn and know about things, and in this case obesity, through informal modes such as media programs. While public pedagogy is not inherently good or bad, it's important to critically examine the messages conveyed, as this is a vital way that the masses come to know anything. So that's why I'm not like self-flagellating when I reflect on how flawed my arguments for why supersize versus super skinny isn't so bad, like I did in the first portion of this episode. The power of public pedagogy like shouldn't be underestimated. Mm. Like I do have a bit of hope that as time goes on, like there'll be more spaces carved out that can um, positively kind of influence how we learn about these things. And kind of quickly before I pass on to you, and again, I'll like wrap up my other thoughts about sort of the political ideology behind these shows. But like friend of the show, Sarah, from the podcast, It Came From The Sea, noted that Supersize vs. Super Skinny informed how their mother came to understand health, dieting, and obesity. They noted that their mother saw the visible extremes in body shape, as well as the implication that a regular sized person is healthiest, and used it as an excuse for why what Sarah's mother was feeding her children was basically healthy. And Sarah emphasized that they had a very, very poor diet, but because none of them were supersized, then no efforts were kind of made to remedy Mm. the nutritional content of their food. Yeah, like the consequences that are visible are more important than the non-visible. Exactly. Even if they do kind of like touch on some potential risks of of you know eating disorders and stuff it's still like the visual is still very much there and so back to what I was thinking like you know when I said how a bunch of my friends noticed straight away how these shows have bad messaging I was like again like why did I not see that and I can't help but think it was invisible to me because I was so cruel to myself yeah while I was watching these shows because I was before weight loss surgery so like when I was fat and watching these shows I was both learning how to think of myself and also agreeing with it. Weight loss reality TV shows serve to both teach the public how we should view our own bodies and then reinforce that. They also teach us like who is to blame for having a less than desirable body and it's consistently the fault of the individual. If they're an adult or if they're a parent, then it's of like a fat child or an underweight child, then it's the parent's fault and it's like it screams a neoliberal ideology that puts responsibility on the individual. It responsibilizes health, which, you know, is influenced by economic, social, all sorts of aspects, environmental. But they're just blaming these individuals for their bodies. And by the time this is released, um, my episode with Joe on scared straight programs would have been released. And I kind of can't help but notice the the same politics behind scared straight programs, including the TV shows that show kids being screamed at. It puts the onus on the individual. It ignores external factors. And also they both try and use deterrence as a way to scare people away from the, the undesired thing, mm. if that makes sense. So like... In scared straight programs, they use the threat of punishment, like incarceration. And here, they they very visibly show incredibly underweight 
uh, anorexic people or they show these people from Illinois and that should be the deterrent and that's expected to be the deterrent. Anyway, I just, I'm, I'm very much realizing how pervasive a certain political ideology is in not just weight loss TV shows, but basically all of the reality shows that we've been watching. I think like, even though they touch on the, the mental issues that cause like the outward issues, um, they don't really address them in the same, like for, they'll like no. look at some childhood photos and have a bit of a cry and be like, oh yeah, I was like, this bad thing happened when I was 12 and you know, now I eat or don't eat, but they, they don't yeah. really talk about like, okay, maybe we should start a mental health program where now you go to therapy twice a week or something. And we really sort of figure out mm-hmm. if you're okay. And I think something that, you know, I, I, believe we may have discussed this in, um, the body positivity episode and, this is something that I still grapple with, if I'm perfectly honest, um, and I'll probably cop heat for it, but something that it's taken me a really fucking long time to learn throughout my life is that there are worse things than being fat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. I think it was just so drilled into me when I was a kid that it was like, that is the worst thing you can be because you got made fun of, you mm-hmm. got scrutinized by the media, you got made to feel less than or not worthy um, and so constantly it was like, well, at least I'm not fat. Like, you know, and no matter what's wrong with you, at least you're not that. And so, you know, the older you get and the more now that we have the sort of language and capacity to look at these things in a lot more critical way, it really is like, there are so many fucking worse things you can be. That is so nothing. Like, Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it can be a really big deal emotionally and mentally for some people and, and even from what they still have to deal with from society, you know, looking the way they do or feeling the way they do, or just, you know, car- going about their fucking lives and just trying to get on with it and being constantly judged or scrutinized or policed for it. Um, but it's like, you can Mm -hmm. be a fucking asshole for one. You could be, you know, uh, unempathetic. You could be a fucking know-it-all doctor who's telling people how to live with your millions of dollars. (laughs) Oh my God. Quick question. Did you do any Googling about what Dr. Christian's been up to lately? Oh, with like the texting? Oh, sorry. The tweeting? Oh no, I didn't know about that. He was like racist and wrong about coronavirus. Like Italians having coronavirus he's like well you know I don't think it's like such a big deal and we all know that Italians like to have siestas or something like that oh my god and it's like mate you didn't even get that right right um no I'd read a thing about him um getting sued for rebellious tweets from the prime minister of Ireland he got charged with it and he has to pay it but then he's like appealing it but if he if the appeal doesn't work yeah he like will be (laughs) bankrupt that's so fucking funny i had like such a big like you know low-key like crush on him just like oh dr christian so smart and handsome and stuff and it's like oh he's actually racist and dickhead (laughs) and has the worst hair and worst shirts oh my god how has he not changed his hair? I watched a show for a bit that was, um, it was on Netflix really briefly and then it got taken off, but it was um, a special sort of like plastic surgery type of show where he had, it was just him, where he had a small oh, okay. office. Anyway, um, I think he had different hair, but, but it's still not great. <laughs> I was like, who are we to make make fun of someone for not changing their hair? Oh, I, mean, yeah. I know you change your hair, but like you wear the same outfit and I've been building up my own Simpsons <laughs> wardrobe. And it's like, oh, this dickhead hasn't changed his hair. <laughs> 
Kara, if you could tell me what you found about medical TV shows, I'd be interested to hear. I will. Um, it's interesting, actually, like hearing you talk about the way that they're sort of viewing bodies um, and the close-ups and all that sort of stuff, because it's something that really carries over into the shows oh. that I'm talking about, specifically embarrassing bodies, which is funny because it's the same host, or one of the <laughs> same hosts. Um, but I was reading, it was uh, Beyond Explicit, Pornography and the, and the Displacement of Sex by Helen Hester. And okay. basically was talking about embarrassing bodies specifically and about how the body is viewed as abject in those sort of shows. Mm. And it really is like, and it's something that's, you know, especially true, I think, in Super Size, Super Skinny, where they're, they're abject just for being who, like the size that they are. Whereas in embarrassing bodies, it's more to do with a specific condition, but it still makes right. the body itself abject. But uh, it discussed the body also as pornographic um in the sense that you know with those sort of shows you're looking you get like full-on close-ups of genitals yeah for anyone that hasn't watched embarrassing bodies like the basic sort of uh format of it is that you know people they have like a mobile clinic and people come into the clinic um and they will talk about whatever fucking issue they couldn't talk to their own doctor about for whatever reason or couldn't get help from their own doctor from for for whatever reason um, and then they'll either treat them there or they will send them to a specialist that can address the problem. And it just sort of follows the patient's journey. But I think like it raises really interesting ideas around like uh, privacy, around health, around shame, um, about what is normal, quote unquote. Mm. But something that this this book brought up that I thought was really interesting was that it described it as uh, medical porn and it said it was oh. the non-sexual pornographic so how does it define pornographic i guess in the sense that it's like extremely exposed like and it's something that's sort of what would you call it like illicit you know like it it's showing things where you're like oh my gosh i shouldn't be looking at this like it's taboo i guess as yeah well. totally but it's completely non-sexualized because you're supposed to be repulsed like mm -hmm. it's this really weird sort of juxtaposition of like i am looking at someone's like penis or something but well they're straight up like their full vagina but or vulva or whatever but it's just so unattractive because of this hideous condition that they have jeez that's cruel <laughs> yeah like it just it desexualizes them even though you're looking at things that should be illicit. And I think that's, yeah, it's sort of an interesting concept. And I suppose that's, you know, I assume that's how a lot of doctors might feel um, when they're like how gynecologists aren't, you know, they don't see a vagina as sexual. It becomes yeah, a yeah. sort of abject thing that like, that's just what is there to do your job and like you care for the patient and you have, and it's, you're separating almost like the empathy that you have for the person to the abjectivity of the body. Mm -hmm. But yeah, anyway, in this book it was talking about basically a lot of criticisms towards the show come from <laughs> what people think are like supposed to be the demographic or the people that watch these shows or enjoy these shows um, oh. and it was saying yeah as in terms of like the author wasn't saying that but just was sort of like drawing attention to that like these are active you know criticisms that are going on and um one of them it was basically talking about like the emphasis on quote powerful visceral and seemingly disagreeable effects yeah <laughs> yeah and i mean it really is like visceral is such a perfect word for for how that show is so there was one i think he was a an author for maybe it was like the guardian or something but ian collins apparently declared embarrassing bodies to be quote tv porn pure and simple 
reasoning that quote oh. viewers tune in specifically for the money shot the over pendulous testicles <gasps> the festering anal boils the girl whose breasts oh, exist no. in two separate postcodes <laughs> for him the show is not medical education it exists for the voyeur and the chronically immature a 21st century freak show for the chattering classes <laughs> I feel directly insulted and attacked, Kara. <laughs> Me too, but I feel fucking seen, but I'm also like, well, he's not wrong. He's not like, wrong at all. <laughs> I am chronically immature. Like, if I am chronically anything, it's fucking immature. I was expecting <laughs> him to just straight up say my fucking first and last name. Oh my god. Right. <laughs> oh. So... In terms of the way that the show is actually structured, there was another person that was quoted, Eva Wiseman, who had talked about the show's tabloid kind of format Mm -hmm. um, and had said it relies on suspenseful ad breaks and the promise of genital (laughs) close-ups. I feel like a fucking pervert. Right. Another another journalist who had said, um, Gawping is why the show remains so popular. It revives the disgusted thrill that many of us remember from our biology textbooks. A thrill very similar to the one that sent 2.6 million viewers to Channel 4 for Britain's Fattest Man, or the one that causes cars to decelerate past traffic accidents. It is the th- it's the same. It is. Yeah, it's rubbernecking. It's rubbernecking at freaks, basically. Like I won't deny that. <laughs> I could tell you that. <laughs> so, with those criticisms in mind, this author argued that instead it was an emphasis on the authentic, on the real ailments of real people, and that that reality mm. to it was crucial. Basically, there was a, a Dr. Paula Franklin of the reproductive healthcare charity Marie Stopes had said the show doesn't shy away from real issues that are a concern to people. It's frank, it's honest, and it presents the information in an accessible way. If you're someone with a real issue, it can be very reassuring that other people have the same or similar concerns to you. Yeah, yeah that's very true. I think that is true, and I think it can be both. Yeah, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like, it can absolutely be, like, you know, rubbernecking or immature and you know laughing at the, the 21st century freak show or whatever it said but yeah at the same time it's like that doesn't mean it's not real like that doesn't mean it's not relatable and like sometimes you can you can even see someone that has the same condition as you just a much more severe version of it and that could be even prompting to go get treatment like oh shit i should do something before it turns into that like in the same way that it's cautionary i suppose with embarrassing bodies this is just a much more specific and also a much more out of your control thing. So there's less shame, I think, even though it's called ironically embarrassing bodies, there seems to be sometimes less shame with certain conditions. With other things, it's like there's more shame, like, oh, you should have fucking cleaned this better, you grub. <laughs> yeah, but- it's, it's interesting because I've always interpreted it like, obviously, like this isn't the intention maybe, but like they were so embarrassed by this thing that they didn't get it looked at earlier mm. sort of if that makes sense. Yeah. But then it's like, why choose to do it on national television? I always want to know international <laughs> television. It's not like we're in England. So the last quote from that book that I thought was really interesting was, uh, she said, just as the gag reflex comes to stand in for another bodily paroxysm in the two girls, one cup reaction videos. So an, <laughs> so an interest in the authentic bodily experience of sex is displaced onto a fascination with the authentic bodily experience of illness in embarrassing bodies. 
Huh. Which, like, yeah. yeah. And I think, like, people have always had a fascination with illness. You know, like, that's why there's medical museums. Like, that's why there's books Absolutely. on that shit. Like, it is a natural thing to want to be interested in that and not just from a self-preservation standpoint but also just fucking curiosity like sometimes it's amazing that things can get to that point because human bodies are amazing and fucked like yeah it's like and it's just it's not part of your everyday so another book i read or like part of a book i read um was called consumer behavior in action basically um so embarrassing bodies used to be called when it was like piloting or whatever i guess it was called embarrassing illnesses and the doctors actually insisted on changing the name oh before it aired but as a result the web the original website was still called embarrassing illnesses um and so apparently it used to have a website i've checked and it's no longer there but it was uh, channel 4 embarrassing illnesses.com and it had a like function thing that was a my health checker uh, which allowed viewers to check on ADHD, autism, body mass index, basal metabolic rate, body fat, depression, diabetes, dyslexia, hand-eye coordination, kidney and lung function, moles, obsessive compulsive disorder, oral health, pulse and heart rate, reaction time, and urinary function. So you could go through and oh, do shit. these tests, yeah, and then you could compare your results to the general user, and it was averaged by like age, gender, ethnicity, and occupation. So you could like see where you sit, and I guess like you know decide whether or not it was worth going to seek medical help based on any of those issues, which, you know, I think it can be a dangerous thing <laughs> to like, like everyone's been on WebMD. We all know what it's like. It's a dangerous yeah, rabbit hole to yeah. fall into, but I still think it's, it's good in a way to be like more aware of, you know, these are all things that you should not be like obsessing over, but maybe just like aware of, or, you know, if something starts going wrong or you at least know where you sit, if it was fully out, like if you did a reaction time test and you were like, you know, way on the other end of a graph to where you should be, at least it would be an indication of like, oh, what's going on there? It's sort of like at least an attempt of following through with like, well, we know people are going to come visit this website. Um, We want to be able to supply them with the resources to go get help or like to see if that then decide if they want to go get help which like it it doesn't seem harmful necessarily to me you know like when we're talking about helpful versus harmful i'm like that's trying to be helpful (laughs) whether or not it is yeah i feel like it is so far out of everything you've said like yeah the voyeurism thing is probably like not great but people are gonna do it like well okay here's a here's a more critical view oh (laughs) the book was called cbt for appearance anxiety psychosocial interventions for anxiety due to visible difference okay basically there was some case studies where people had issues with various parts of their bodies so i think it was like a man who like didn't like his nose or whatever and was seeking plastic surgery in order to treat it quote unquote treat treat that shit nurse (laughs) (laughs) basically they broke down the case study and then had a uh, psychiatrist sort of picking apart like uh, suggestions for for how um, he could improve his body image basically the the advice was it will help to avoid the following excessive self-scrutiny in the mirror asking other people's opinion about appearance TV programs such as Embarrassing Bodies or articles promoting cosmetic surgery as a means of modifying psychological outcomes, including online forums, repeated surgical procedures. So it's like avoiding TV programs was a fucking advice as to what to do. But I don't really understand why. Like, they don't say why to avoid. So obviously the psychiatrist is like, nope, this is clearly unhelpful. And it's mm, like, but they're not 
then going further into that sort of thing, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And also, like, the other thing I had issue is they're also saying avoid asking about other people's opinion about appearance. And it's like, yeah, maybe if you were doing it obsessively, like, every day or several times, you're like, hey, hey, do I look alright? Is this okay? Like, what do you think of my nose or something? But it's like, totally fine. How else do you know if something looks fucking normal? Like, if you're like, hey, mate, is this normal or not? And then your friend's like, ah. Nah, it's fucked. Nah. Like, that's a bit cooked, day. Eh? Like, you should probably get that checked out. Or like, no, I have one the exact same. Check it out. That's a normal thing to do. And you should be encouraging that. So the fact that in the same sort of breath, the advice was to not watch TV programs like this, as well as not yeah. talking to people. I'm like, yeah, let's just turn into fucking like 1950s white men and not talk to anyone about anything like let's just stew in our fucking problems and drink Mm -hmm. that made me mad but i you know and i I understand that it's like yeah obsessing about anything or watching like hypercritical views on bodies isn't going to be helpful i did read an article um from the guardian that was written by christian jessen like the host of embarrassing bodies and so he was talking about like how this show sort of how it became structured, I guess, from from the get-go. So I'll just read, like, a chunk of this article of what he said. Myself, Dawn Harper, and Pixie McKenna, so the three doctors, had meetings with the producers to talk through the cases each week. If we thought something was inappropriate or a patient was particularly vulnerable, we wouldn't use them. We drove the producers mad with our constant back and forth, but people came on the show because they felt they knew us. There's a lot to be said for seeing a doctor you trust. Some people felt let down by the health service, particularly with things such as wonky boobs, which the NHS might consider just cosmetic. I think we were a lifesaver for some people who were told by their GP that there was nothing that could be done. We also got people who wanted to be the person to betray the disease they had and raise awareness, knowing others with it were hiding away, just as they had done for many years. Oh, man. All of that sounds really fucking positive. Yeah, I know he has a financial stake in it, but like if that, if true, Mm. then that's fucking cool. Exactly. Towards the end of the article as well, like this was another sort of like positive thing to come from it. He said, there's no real proof of this, but let's just, if we take it at face value, Mm -hmm. um, he said, the campaigns we did, such as for testicular and breast cancer, were life changing. The show made me feel a huge amount of humility and compassion for people whose lives are devastated by ill health. Ultimately, it was about the contributors and making them feel comfortable and relaxed. We had a really high level duty of care. So like, overall, I'm like, yeah, that sounds pretty good it does yeah (laughs) like that's a lot of positives to come from something yeah and like i know that there's other other shows like that's obviously just embarrassing bodies that we're looking at and even then embarrassing bodies still does a lot of what super size best super skinny does with Mm -hmm. the shaming and the you know there's still a lot of gross out factor or like like they were saying with the suspense before an ad break like look at this gross thing coming up you know yep but that's how you get fucking viewers as well. So, you know, if it, whatever it takes, I guess, to get people to actually fucking pay attention. It's like how much do you, of the, the hu- humiliation do you have to sacrifice for it to still be interesting? Like, I'm not saying that that's good or bad. I, I'm yeah. just saying, like, is there a balancing act? Yeah, like it has to be marketable. So another sort of show like this, you know, in, the, in that same sort of vein of medical reality television is... um called like 24 hours in A&E so basically they take cameras into hospitals and follow around like the emergency staff like they they stick to you know a few patients an episode which like I watched one back in um July when I was in Hobart and it was like it was fucked dude like I was watching it with just Hugh and my dad's best friend and we were all just like oh like this guy's fucking ankle was like on back 
moments after a football accident and just like I just couldn't even fucking look at it and I was like man I can't believe I wanted to be a surgeon oh my god same like I cannot even fucking look at this shit now I was reading an article about how those shows have been helpful like right now um and i think this is really interesting so basically since the covid19 pandemic there has been a demand for distance and online learning strategies uh to support and even replace learning experiences that students usually got through clinical placements and clerkships okay and this article says quote An intriguing but under-researched modality is the use of medical reality television to provide authentic experiences of patient care. Okay, so they're saying it's authentic. Yeah, so it's like they're actually using it as, like, case studies for students to study so that they can learn more. Huh. They did a study on this studying, basically, (laughs) to see how effective it really was. And the results of that are, quote, in response to the medical reality television, a diverse range of emotions were expressed, including excitement, amusement, concern, nervousness, sadness, and joy. Students identified gaps in their clinical knowledge, such as interpreting results, practical aspects Mm. of prescribing, and end-of-life care. Key themes were increased student engagement and a promotion of holistic care practices. Oh, that's good. Yeah, like that's all really good. But And the study, by the way, like that paper, if anyone's interested, was called Using Medical Reality Television as a Technology-Enhanced Learning Strategy to Provide Authentic Patient Care Experiences During Clinical Placements. Case Study Research Investigation. It's a fucking mouthful, but it was four different authors and it was only published this year. Oh, cool. So, yeah, this, of course it would be very recent, like COVID. Uh... Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, like I thought that was really interesting like it's 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 actually they're basically saying like it's so real that we're actually using it as to study it yeah no that's that's super interesting and i think that it's like those shows do have a narrative in terms of like so and so was then discharged after such and such but it's it's not like the directors are choosing that result if that makes sense yeah yeah it's not scripted in that way they do edit it like i do find they edit it in kind of a fucked way though because sometimes you'll like you'll be watching it and you're like oh man this person totally like they're trying to make us think that they died but they didn't die <laughs> like oh yeah clearly their medical state is so dire when they've come in and then they're not interviewing them in any of the post sort of footage like where it cuts back between like their family after the fact mm-hmm. um and then it's like in the very end they'll pull them on camera like yeah that was scary and you're like fuck you man i thought they were dead like oh yeah i hate when they so do other that. than the blatant manipulation of that i get why they do it but it's still very very rude yeah, yeah. It's like, I just want to know, like, if this fucking 80-year-old woman who fell down the stairs is going to be okay. Like, just let me know. Overall, though, pretty helpful, like, comparatively. I think that there's definitely still elements of shame and issues with that. Are you saying overall in terms of hyper-real ones or overall as in medical in general? Overall, like, medical reality shows, I think. Like, even embarrassing bodies for, you know it having faults of like the gross out factor and the the tabloid sort of feel at the end of the day it's still as long as the outcome is still positive Mm -hmm. to me it's still helpful like so no matter how you have to go about it I also think it's it's hitting a different demographic and you know if you have to reach awareness for people that are chronically immature like (laughs) go about it however you fucking have to like I'm much more inclined to watch that trashy shit than watch something as dramatic and serious as, uh, you know, fucking 24 hours in A&E. Like, I, sometimes I'm just like, I'm not in the fucking mental state to do this. The only time I'm not in the mental state for embarrassing bodies is when I'm eating. <laughs> Beyond that, like, 
fucking have at it. So. Like, they could put out an anti-smoking campaign, like a trailer, um, on YouTube, stick it on Twitter. I'm not going to watch it. I don't care. You embed it into a, a trashy reality show. Oh, yeah. I will view it and I'll take it on board. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if, if they're aiming for, you know, like working classes as well like if that's part of mm-hmm. the demographic you know i wonder with super size super skinny if that's what a lot of what they're trying to reach by featuring people like that maybe it's just the episodes i've seen but even a lot of the skinny people have been working class as well like a lot of you know hairdressers oh, yeah. or single Absolutely. moms and stuff so i think that's more just like the overall tone is that they're trying to market to that the real sort of dystopian negative view is that like they're treating working class people as the sideshow for middle class people watching it which is a possibility and fuck. It's a possibility, but even if they are trying to go for the working class, they're still not saying, like, they're still just saying it's your fault. They're not saying, hey, because you're working class, you might experience less access to healthy food and you might yeah like maybe mcdonald's shouldn't have a dollar menu and quinoa shouldn't cost 15 dollars. but here we are so <laughs> yeah it's possible that they're trying to target the working class even if they are they're still not doing a responsible job exactly yeah so overall what would you say your hills are in the first part you said that weight loss reality shows you were more or less a no they're not helpful but you were willing to give like the super size versus super skinny a yes, I think, but biggest loser a no. What what would you say your hill is now? I'd say it's probably just not. I think even like reassessing, you know, through that lens, how I look at it or how I was looking at it, still elements of it are triggering. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think it's particularly healthy for anyone in that sense. Also just like judging and scrutinizing people's bodies for their weight. Mm. Don't we do that enough as a society? Like, do we really need an entire television show dedicated to it? Several of them. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I feel, I don't know, I guess it's like a guilty pleasure as well. Like I do enjoy watching it and I kind of hate myself for enjoying watching it. Again, I think it's tapping into that thing that you mentioned, like whatever the fucking, like pornographic. Yeah. And also like we fucking self-flagellate, like we're fucking masochists, (laughs) man. Like I know that it's punishing and I still fucking do it. I think that's part of the issue. It's like, if I was just doing things that were good for myself, like, fuck. I'd be in a very different place if I, yeah. if I was doing all the things I knew I should do to take care of myself. Oh, imagine. I wouldn't be doing this podcast where, like, I just get so mad in the process of reading. Oh, my God. On the subject of um, weight loss reality, did you start off saying that it was not helpful? Yeah, it's not helpful. Yeah. I was willing to say that super size versus super skinny was less egregious. I think that they're both egregious in different ways and like yeah I'm I'm a hard no. So medical reality how did you feel about it last time? Look I can't remember I think I said that they're helpful. And how do you feel about it now? I think I was like maybe hesitant before I think they're super helpful. Let's not even consider what we'd previously said whoever the fuck listens to this will know what we said better than us let's just focus on what we think now. Exactly. What do you think now? (laughs) Do you think they're helpful? Yeah no I think they're, they're really helpful. I definitely wasn't expecting again i'm gonna take dr christian's word with a grain of salt because he has a financial stake in it if what he says is is true then i think that that's super helpful the marie stopes person you said that she was like in favor of it as well Mm -hmm. if people are getting something out of it and are using it as an opportunity like on embarrassing bodies to bring awareness or like they're fully consenting to all of it then I, th- I think it's fine. I wasn't expecting the like RPA 
live surgery stuff to be as helpful as it is for like actual medical students so that's really cool too i'm super impressed by by medical reality tv shows actually like like obviously i'm sure there's there's definitely space for yucky ones but from the ones that you spoke about yeah and i mean you know it's like anything like nothing's perfect like of course there's even elements in the quote-unquote good ones that (laughs) could be improved for sure but also yeah it's, it's that balance of like what's healthy for society and what's entertaining junk food tv with still positive out yeah it's like if we're gonna tap into that whole like the voyeur taboo thing i'd rather it be for something that's gonna make maybe people get a fucking prostate cancer test or something or like screening yeah yeah what about you oh yeah you know even from a personal perspective there's so much where i'm like oh yeah fuck i can watch these shows and feel you do feel like reassurance or solidarity from people with the same kind of conditions Mm or it normalizes things and seeing like different spectrums of how severe a condition can be can actually make you feel better about your own like when i've seen people on there with like psoriasis and shit like that and i'm like oh fuck at least mine's not that bad like poor darlings that response is exactly it like it really helps your level of empathy i think as well for people and realizing that some people can look really ordinary from the outside and have this really serious shit going on Mm -hmm. um which i think you know a lot of people especially people like us and in friends groups that we're in know a lot about invisible illnesses and sort of are prepared for that anyway but it's it's really good to have that out there so that other people can be more aware of it who might not have otherwise been exposed to health conditions like that and you just kind of like made me think like in my section i mentioned this like public pedagogy thing where it's like we're learning and we come to know about certain things through the media and it's like if we're thinking about that then you know embarrassing bodies is probably a really good way, like definitely the more useful way to to use the media to bring attention to these issues. Like if, if we're learning about psoriasis, society comes to know and learn about psoriasis through embarrassing bodies where this person can be treated for it or like learns how to manage it. I think that's net helpful for society. I'm pleasantly surprised. I think this has been a good episode in terms of like, yeah, okay, we found out that one of them was worse than we initially thought, but actually the other half is pretty good. Well, thank you for recording with me. This is like the final reality TV miniseries episode to go on our main feed. There will be one more coming up at some point, uh, and that one will be behind a paywall. If you would like to access that and some other content, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash pod. If you want to like us on Facebook, we are a hill to die on. You can like us on Twitter at pod. Our website is ahilltodieonpod.com. You can shoot us an email at hilltodieonpod at gmail.com. And our Instagram is a hilltodieonpod. I'll speak to you next time. Bye. Bye.